Welcome to Portraits of Honor. We stand in the swiftly fading shadow of our World War II veterans and heroes who united for a single purpose, to honor life, liberty, and justice for all. They were soldiers and sailors, airmen and mechanics, nurses and pilots, radio operators, ordinary people who did extraordinary things. Our mission is to preserve their stories, to bring their experiences to life for a new generation. This is our tribute, our act of honor. Through their words, we explore the essence of honor and remember the sacrifices that were made. For just the cost of a cup of coffee each month, you can help us preserve their stories. Visit portraitsofhonor.com to learn more. Join us as we journey back in time, as we listen, learn, and remember. This is Portraits of Honor. Let the stories of these heroes begin. This interview is presented in two parts. This is part one. This episode explores the extraordinary life of Morton Waitsman, an Army veteran who played a vital role on D-Day as a communications specialist. From landing on Omaha Beach and intercepting German codes, to facilitating critical communications with the French resistance, his journey is a riveting tale of courage, dedication, and resilience. As we explore his transition from soldier to scholar, his inspiring story connects the battlefields of World War II to the halls of Emory University, blending history with a legacy of academia. This interview was recorded on September 21, 2022 in Atlanta, Georgia. It's recording. And I'll start again with your name. What's your full name? Morton Waitsman. Uh, I was, I suppose I, I should start at the beginning. I was born in Chicago, Illinois, November 8, 1923, and lived there uh, unaware of the outside world until I went into the Army when I was 19 years old. So there I was in Chicago. Um, went to high school there. Um, and did some very interesting things in high school. It was John Marshall High School, and John Marshall had a program where they uh, helped to teach blind students and sight-deprived students all they had to know how to survive in, in this world, uh, taught them Braille, and uh, all, all, all sorts of things. When I was a junior, uh, they asked if I would like to read to the blind as an elective, and what could be easier uh, elective than that? So I read to the blind, and even read Latin books to them. I learned, I learned a little bit of Latin at that time. And I became totally involved with the blind students. Um, I became socially involved. Uh, the best student of the year was awarded a sink eye dog. And the man who gave that award was aware of my interest and asked if I wouldn't help in the training of the sink eye dogs. And so I found myself helping them with the blind, getting on and off elevators at Marshall Field in Chicago, uh, going down the escalator, walking along the streets, and I became totally involved with working with the blind students. I even went to their houses uh, and had dinner on a few occasions. 
Um, Is this still in high school? All in high school. Uh, my junior and senior year, all this took place. And um, I was even an assistant scoutmaster for the blind, the Blind Troop 300. Went on trips with them. Uh, we had cookouts, and I did everything that a, that a, a, a scout should be doing, except they couldn't see. Uh, so I, beca I, I became their eyes and their description of things that they couldn't see. And when I finished high school, it was very clear to me that whatever I did in life, I had to solve all the problems of blindness. Nobody would be blind for anything whatsoever. And so I graduated high school, went out to junior college, and uh, then of course Pearl Harbor broke out in November, uh, 19, uh, December 19 of uh, uh, 41. 41. Where were you? I was at junior college in Chicago. I was, I was too old to go in the service, uh, at the, too young to go in the service. And about a year later, I did go into service, and uh, they sent me to Camp Crowder, Missouri, where I had my basic training. Uh, I became a communication specialist, Morse code. I could do Morse code fluently. I could still do Morse code fluently. And I had in high school, I studied French for four years. I spoke French. I read a lot. I spoke French pretty fluently. And so when I finished my training at Camp Crowder in December of 1943, they actually asked me, they gave me two choices. I can go to St. Louis and become an officer in the Engineering Corps, or I can go to Europe uh, with uh, whatever unit I was going to be with. I chose that because I knew nothing about engineering. It was totally strange to me, but I knew that I had to get to Europe to help fight the war that was going on under Adolf Hitler and Nazism. I, I, as a member of the Jewish faith, it was clear to me that uh, we had to do something to combat what was going on. So I wound up in Europe, I wound up aboard a ship in December of 1943 uh, on the way to Southampton, England. And. Um, Tell me uh, what uh, unit you were with. Well, at that, at that point, I was uh, with the, what was called the 4th Signal Center team. And that was a team that was of a very few people that were trained for uh, communications in combat uh, at, at a very specialized level. Uh, and um, so I was with that team, and we went on, on board this uh, British luxury ship Built for two or three thousand luxury passengers, except they put about twenty thousand soldiers on board that ship, uh, and it was miserable. We, the food was terrible. Uh, we had no place to sleep. I was in, I slept below deck, above deck, whatever, and it rained. I got seasick all the time. We were zigzagging to avoid German submarines, and all in all, it was a miserable trip. We were seasick all the time, and <clears throat> 14 days later, or 15 days later, thankfully, we, uh, we landed in Southampton, England, where I continued my, sent to uh, Kidderminster, England, to continue my training. Uh, during this period of time, uh, cer uh, certain uh, event events took place in the military, 
and I was assigned to the 29th Infantry Division. Uh, headquarters Company, 2nd Battalion, uh, 29th Infantry Division. Uh, actually, in about February or so of 1944, I was sent to the Midlands of England to uh, train with the 101st or 82nd Airborne uh, so we, I could land, land with them and be in early contact with the French underground. But that didn't take place because D-Day was rapidly approaching. So they sent me from there. Uh, actually, I was in, uh, for a short period of time, was in London. Um, and uh, oh, maybe several weeks, maybe it was. And the purpose of that was to be at a, uh, a radio intercept station. Uh, I was intercepting German radio, Morse code, and also intercepting French code, Morse code. The purpose of the uh, German interception was uh, the effort to break down the Enigma code. This was a German code that was responsible for all that took place in the German military, but particularly uh, the sinking of ships in the Atlantic Ocean. I would intercept a German code and get on a uh, uh, rumble seat of a motorcycle and conduct it to Bletchley Park in England uh, to help break down that code. Eventually it was broken down in various complicated ways. But I was also at that place intercepting uh, our, our, uh, uh, French radio, the French, really, Force Francaise Interior, the French Underground, so we can get advanced information about uh, uh, German military movements in, in, in France. Uh, now, I had no idea what was in that code, except I was intercepting it, and they would break the code down at Bletchley Park. Uh, well, uh, with all of, all of this action, uh, D-Day was approaching. We're into uh, late May 1944, uh, and I was uh, shipped to Plymouth, England, where we uh, started to board ships. Uh, it was about the 1st or 2nd of June of 1944, and we boarded this mothership uh, to land someplace in France, D-Day. We had no idea still when or where. We did board ship uh, June uh, 3rd or 4th, crossing the channel, again, of course, in bad weather. And uh, June 5th, uh, we finally were told where we would be landing. It was going to be in Normandy, France, uh, Omaha Beach in France, and uh, it would uh, presumably be June 5th, but the weather was terrible, and General Eisenhower made it June 6th. We then w we went down the cargo nets on early, about 2 or 3 in the morning, June 6th, and I remember vaguely standing on top of this mothership, uh, asking myself something like, what the hell am I doing here? Because I had to go down that cargo net with a full field pack, a radio on my back, a rifle, ammunition, hand grenades, a spool of wire. I had more equipment than I weighed, I think, or pretty close to it. And we went down that cargo net and uh, about four or five in the morning, we had to jump from the bottom of the net into the infantry landing craft. Now the 
ships and the landing craft were bobbing in the sea. It was pretty rough, and, and we had a, we had a time our jump so that we were close to the infantry landing craft. And it's dark. And it's dark, and it's raining, and and uh, the worst possible conditions. This was my first exposure to casualties and uh, military casualties. If you missed your leap, with all that equipment that you had, you went straight down. There's probably a couple of miles of ocean at that point, and I lost a few comrades. Uh, I made the jump okay, obviously, and we finally got to the beaches of Omaha, Omaha, Omaha Beach about five, six in the morning. It was low tide, and my mission, number one mission, was to be in touch with the French underground. And by this time, I could do it by radio, and then have to use code. And the um, a few people from the combat inf from the uh, combat in uh, uh, engineers battalion were assigned to help me get through the booby traps and the uh, barriers uh, the Germans had put at uh, on, at the ocean. And because it was low tide, we could see these barriers. And they helped provide a path uh, so they could neutralize any of the uh, any of the booby-trapped equipment to get me to the seawall. Uh, now I got to the seawall. Maybe it was six o'clock in the morning. Uh, I was ahead of the main body because I had to be in touch with the French underground. But I also had two other missions. I had to be in touch with the uh, American and British naval forces to tell them that their shells, they were uh, lobbing into the beach were too short or too long. If they were too short, they were landing in the ocean doing no good. Too long, they were landing in the uh, French villages and killing a, a lot of innocent French citizens there. Their mission was to actually make holes in the beach to provide some protection for the uh, Allied forces that were going to be landed there. They didn't do a good job of that. Uh, but they, they, they did their best. That's what we always did. We did our best. I had a third mission, and that was to fire at the enemy as needed. And I remember uh, 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 unleashing my M1 rifle and firing up the beach where I thought German fire was coming from. So I was firing a weapon, trying to talk on the radio with the French underground. I was a pretty busy guy and trying to survive, usually in a prone position. You couldn't be standing up at any point or you're a dead duck. I lost a lot of comrades on that beach. The memories are difficult, specific memories that I can't talk about now. Uh, and I finally made it to that seawall. And from there, we had to move forward as best we could to the hills beyond the seawall. And by that, that time, it was nighttime we did a, did a foxhole and got some rest the first night on, the, on uh, Normandy Beach. But looking behind me, they knew we were coming. I, the, they were, the fire wing was, was coming at us pretty intensely. It was a slaughter. The, the stench of exploding gunpowder and comrades being blown apart is, is hard. To this day, I don't envision it very well. Uh, but we made it to Normandy. 
uh, got, to the, got to those hills and began to liberate villages. I'm going to jump ahead here because it's going to go on and on and on. Uh, it was a tough fight. Our, our, our immediate military goal was to liberate St. Lo, France. St. Lo was uh, uh, several miles from the beach. We were supposed to get there the end of June. We didn't get there till about the 1st of, of, uh, of uh, August. The fighting along the, the Bocage, the French, um, the, the dirt mounds and the French farmlands, uh, there would be Germans on one side, we'd be on the other. The fighting was pretty intense along the Bocage in France. And casualties that remained heavy all along until we got to St. Lo. We're talking about early August. Got to St. Lo and uh, uh, the town was totally destroyed, as you might expect. But at St. Lo, uh, we had a military decisions were being made for us. Obviously, I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. I had to follow orders. And I was assigned to General Leclerc, the commanding general of the French Liberation Army. And from St. Lo, I was joined forces with General Leclerc, along with several comrades, in the liberation of Paris. Um, much of the body of the 115th Infantry went on to Brest, France, where they, uh, they captured the German submarine base in Brest, France, and was able to go a long ways toward stopping the launching of submarines into the Atlantic that were sinking so many ships. Well, I got to Paris with General Leclerc's group, August 25th, Liberation of Paris. And I was there, uh, and it was a happy time for the French to have us come in. Um, and our division totally reunited in Paris at that point. So between about August 25th, for several days, the 29th Infantry reunited with all of our various units. The 115th Infantry, 116th, 175th, our tank battalions, and all of the other units assigned to the 29th. After liberating Paris, and Paris was not that easily liberated, we we had we wound up on, on the Champs-Élysées, and there were German snipers in all the apartments along the Champs-Élysées, so we had to eliminate the German snipers uh, that were there. And there were also French, the French gendarmerie. Many of them were pro-Nazi. Uh, they were doing what the Germans told them to do and were responsible for uh, much of the fighting that took place against us. You would think they were our allies, but many of them were with the German forces and they helped in the transporting of many Jews from Paris uh, to concentration camps in Germany. So we were becoming more and more aware of what was going on as far as the, uh, uh, the prisoners, that, the Jewish prisoners that were being taken. After a day or so in, in, uh, in Paris, uh, General Patton and the tank groups were ordered to uh, march eastward. We followed General Patton and the tank divisions 
and in the liberation, I'm moving ahead very rapidly here now. We're getting into August, into September and October, and we were able to move rapidly through France. The Germans were in, were in total retreat here, um, and we liberated Luxembourg, Belgium, and on into Holland. And in Holland, early November, uh, early November of 1944. Um, we helped in the liberation along with the 28th Infantry Division and 2nd Armored and another Armored Division in the liberation of Maastricht in Holland, Maastricht. Uh, and we went on from Maastricht to liberate a town called Amstenrade. Amstenrade, these names, I can spell these out for you if you wish. Uh, in Amstenrade, we dug in. Uh, we were getting into December of 1944, and we were dug in in this town of Amsterdam prior to our launch into Germany, which, is, which was about mid-December of 1944. At that point, the Battle of the Bulge took place. The Germans had counterattacked. Am I dragging it too long now? You've got to tell them. This is wonderful. The Germans had counterattacked, and we were dug in we had, we had actually launched into Germany from Amstenrade, but I have a story to tell about Amstenrade itself. I can tell that now or hold it off. I'd like to tell it now if it's okay. okay. Before we launched into, into Germany, now we're talking about late November, early December of 1944. We dug in at this town and for completing our preparations for launch into Germany, but several Dutch citizens were given permission to come to our foxholes and we were dug in to invite us into their homes to take a warm shower and have some warm food. And now, uh, we didn't, we, we had uh, had wet feet for literally weeks. Our food was K rations, C rations, D rations, all the stuff that <laughs> a warm meal would be very nice. So we, we became very close with these folks in this town of Amstenrade, went into their homes, and the Jacob family it was. Uh, I, I, I belabor this for a good reason, because I have pictures of this family. I'm gonna fast forward here to 50 years later, celebration of the 50th anniversary of the landings. My wife and I took a trip into Europe to retrace that whole thing, and we wound up in that town and we were shown pictures that they took of me and the girls who, who invited us into their home. And it, it, was, it was a tremendously warm time. We were their liberators, and of course, they were under German occupation for a couple of years, what to eat, what work to do, what radios they could listen to. If they were caught listening to, to British uh, BBC, they had their radios confiscated. They were even sent to concentration camps, many didn't return. So it was a, it was a deep history of what took place in this one town in, in Holland that we had liberated. And this was all over. Allied forces were coming across the same sort of thing all over Holland. This podcast is a charitable supported public service. To learn more about the veteran featured on this podcast, please go to portraitsofhonor.com. There you'll find more stories, portraits, and ways to be part of this act of honor. 
Every day, a few hundred World War II veterans pass away, and soon they'll all be gone. For the cost of a few cups of coffee each month, you can help us support the mission to give all these deserving veterans their portrait of honor and record and memorialize their stories forever. Please go to PortraitsOfHonor.com today to make your donation and show your support. Leave us a review and share this episode. By remembering the past, we can inspire a better future. Join us next time on Portraits of Honor.